Welcome to the Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast. Every preacher knows when they're teetering on the edge of a topic that will result in receiving a phone call on Monday morning. Instead of backing away, this podcast exists to work through these polarizing ideas and spark conversation. In each episode, we'll be covering a different topic that hopefully we'll be able to address with more nuance and depth than we might be able to in a weekend service. We'd love for this platform to be the start of the conversation, and hopefully it sparks more in-depth dialogue with your friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors. Hey, we're the hosts of this show. I'm Paul Joslin. And I'm Melissa Frisby. Today on this episode, we are continuing our season all about fear. We live in a fear-driven society, and it is the motivation to so many of our decisions. Why is that? As people of faith, we are told 365 times, a time for each day of the year throughout scripture to fear not, and yet it secretly grabs a foothold in our lives. Today we're addressing the fear of Big Brother and government corruption. According to Chapman University's survey of American fears, this one has topped the list for several years in a row. As a culture, we've been increasingly skeptical of the information provided to us from the White House and mainstream media, and concerned about potentially overreaching nature of the government into our private lives. As interconnectedness increases through technology, how do we know that we are in safe hands? And what is the best response from a Christian perspective? All right, so today's topic is the fear of Big Brother. And Alyssa, I thought a helpful place for you and I to start this conversation before we invite Brad into it would be just actually defining for people that term Big Brother. So I don't know if you remember back in high school, did Mm -hmm. you ever read 1984? Was that a book you had to read? I think I read the Cliff Notes. Okay. Spark Notes, Cliff Notes. Were you one of those Mm -hmm. students? My wife was also one of those students. I think she read one book in high school, and that's about it. But I think we both got all A's, so you did. weird. Yeah, mm. and didn't have to read, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so when we talk about Big Brother, it's coming from the book 1984 uh, by George Orwell. Uh, and there's three kind of primary components that he outlines about Big Brother that I think have kind of carried over to, to pop culture. So I think that's yeah. a helpful place for us to start with this fear of Big Brother before we kind of get into some of the reasons why we're afraid of Big Brother. So one of the first things that he talks about, and I think pop culture, when they use this term Big Brother, is this kind of idea of constant surveillance. Someone is always watching. I know you're looking like a little creepy. What's the what's the thought there? I think it's surveillance, but that's okay. What did I say? Surveillance? Perfect. We are <laughs> off to a great start this morning. This is why we brought Alyssa in, because I sometimes you. I struggle. You got mm-hmm. me. So constant surveillance. Someone is always watching. There's always someone who's paying attention uh, to us. Uh, then the other one, there's th- three kind of primary components. The other one is government defines reality. So the government dictates what is true and what people believe. They have mm-hmm. a lot of control over the narratives of culture and trying to dictate that. And then the third one is there's an abusive relationship to civil liberties. So government and institutions, they infringe on human rights in an oppressive and and sometimes subversive ways that we don't Mm -hmm. always see. So those are kind of the three things that that are outlined in that book and in culture, which I think ties to this idea that we're going to be spending a lot of time with today in this idea of fear of Big Brother is is conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when you talk about conspiracy theories, the actual definition is an explanation for events that relies on the assertion that powerful people are dishonestly manipulating society. Um, So do you have any kind of reactions to that, the, the tie between fear of Big Brother and conspiracies and how all those might play in together? Yeah, well, I feel like just American culture is obsessed with conspiracies. Nothing is how it seems. Um, And I think that we see that a lot in pop culture. So I just think of some of, like, the biggest 
blockbuster movies. I love that I'm going to start with this one. National Treasure. Maybe that's not the biggest blockbuster. <laughs> right, biggest um, blockbuster. Yeah, right. for sure. Um, but there's something about the fact that in National Treasure, if you guys haven't seen it, you should. Well, um, shush, it is so good. <laughs> um, Nicolas Cage is a treasure hunter who um, needs to steal the Declaration of Independence. And he does. And he does Spoiler. steal it. I know. Because <laughs> there's all the secret stuff going on with the Freemasons and um, that there's just a secret language going on with um, with the Constitution. Yeah. Um, but even Da Vinci Code, right? right? As Christians, we're not supposed to like that. But either way, I mean, I know I've seen Culture it. was fascinated with that it story. It really was, yeah. right? That there's, you know, maybe the story that we've known our whole lives isn't actually what's happening. Yeah. Um, and I personally think a lot about, maybe not think a lot about, um, Poot Lovato. I don't know if you know who I this is. I don't know what you're talking about right now, so you're going to have to give me a little more. Poot Lovato. Um, so apparently, yeah. Demi Lovato. Okay, I do know her. I got that Singer, reference. right? So apparently she has an ugly twin that, <laughs> that lives in her um, attic that she brings in for sure. performances. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, so just... <laughs> <laughs> that's so absurd. It is, um, but that's kind of the nature of what you're talking about. Our culture has this obsession with these conspiracies. And they're the, everything from like the Declaration of Independence actually has a secret code to some sort of national treasure to yeah. Demi Lovato keeping a sister in her yeah, attic. Yeah, Poot. Poot. First that's name Poot. Bad name, but <laughs> <laughs> that's how Camden describes her diapers. So, <laughs> right. so yeah. So there is this fascina- fascination uh, with truth and corruption mm-hmm. and misinformation and distrust of media, distrust of government. And while we can have some of these more lighthearted conversations about some of the different ways that pop culture has kind mm-hmm. of you know really monopolized on that, the the truth is that there are actually some detrimental Mm -hmm. um, realities to this kind of fear. And um, yeah, so that's kind of what we want to talk about. You might be listening and wondering why in the world on a season about what do we fear? Are we talking about the fear of Big Brother? But it's actually uh, something I didn't know. It's one of the primary things Mm -hmm. that Americans fear. So there was a study that was done from 2014 to 2018 um, by Chapman University. And for four years in a row, the fear of government corruption was the number one fear Mm -hmm. of Americans in that study, Um, which is crazy because it expands over several presidencies. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't just that it was, you know, a fear of of the Democratic president or a fear of the Republican president. Uh, It was really, it's a bipartisan thing. 75% of Americans, according to this study, said that their number one fear was governmental corruption or corruption in, like, the government. So it looks like... That's something we all agree on that yeah. we're afraid of and that we, we think that we have it's a bipartisan issue. But the other interesting thing is that, that tied to that study, specifically in 2016, there was another survey of Americans where they were talking about conspiracy theories. And um, according to this survey, more than 50% of Americans believe that the government is concealing information about the 9-11 attacks. Wow. More than 50% of Americans believe that the government is concealing information about the John F. Kennedy assassination. Another 40% believe that the government is hiding information about aliens and extraterrestrials. That gets into the whole Area 51. 40%. That is not a small number. Um, Over 40% of Americans believe that that we're um, being given misinformation about global warming. A third believe that there are conspiracies surrounding Obama's birth certificate, and a third believe there are conspiracies around the origin of the AIDS virus. 
So there's so much in our culture that, that we have this obsession, this fascination with this distrust for the institutions and governmental authorities. And that's what the study concluded. One of the, the scientists on it said, we found clear evidence that the United States is strongly conspiratorial society. Um, in fact, so conspiratorial that one third of the people they surveyed believed that the government was hiding information about the North Dakota crash. And if you're sitting at home wondering what the North Dakota crash is, it was actually something they made up <laughs> in that survey. And oh people still were convinced that it was uh, something the government is hiding wow. and not just a conspiracy. Um, so, yeah, so there's a lot of interesting ideas about some of this fascination with uh Fear of Big Brother, conspiracy mm -hmm. theories. But this is the thing that I thought was most interesting about the survey and why we wanted to address it on this podcast. And that's this. And according to the survey, the most likely people to believe in conspiracy mm -hmm. theories or have this distrust of government were Christians who attended religious services infrequently. There was other demographics that kind of fed into that. But I think at the core of this issue is why are Christians specifically so fascinated with this? Um, and how do Christians respond in yeah. a culture that has this fascination with misinformation and distrust of government? Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm really Perfect. excited. Uh, we're going to bring Brad Haycoop in to join us in this conversation. Um, Brad, I know you've been a pastor at Waterstone for a while. You've been around Waterstone for a while. So we're really excited that you're jumping on uh, this conversation today and going to enjoy it. Um, I thought a good place to start, when, since both Alyssa and I are millennials and you're not. They, I'm Ouch. sorry. I know. This is such a welcome. But uh, yeah, I thought maybe a good place to start was you could tell us what happened with the Kennedy assassination since we weren't there. You were like a teenager, right? You Something are like cruel. That? You are really cruel. Actually, truth be told, I was not born until after the Kennedy assassination by 30 days. Okay. Wow. So I made it. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a, but it was great fodder for our Thanksgiving <laughs> From growing sure. up through my family, man, we always every Thanksgiving we talked about the the Kennedy assassination and the the you know yeah the Zabruder films and the man with the umbrella and <laughs> right. the grassy knoll and the pristine bullet. Oh man, it was yeah. great, great conversation. So so what do you think the fascination with some of this stuff is? How would you kind of enter into that conversation? Why are we so fascinated by conspiracy theories and distrust of government? I honestly, I think it's it's just in our it's in our roots as a country. I mean, okay. I think it's something that has existed. You know, I, as you study history and how we broke from uh, Great Britain and mm. England, it's like there's so much that had to create in order for there to be a uh, a groundswell of uh, desire to fight the British. You know, okay. and, and it's like they had to feed on that fear. Uh, so I think it's just it's in our DNA. Alyssa, what do you think are maybe some of the reasons we're so fascinated with that as a, a culture and a society? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think because there have been times when the government has proved that it's a good reason that we mm, distrust it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the example that comes to mind is cigarettes, that for so long, all these doctors are saying, like, it's not healthy. Women who are pregnant do not smoke. Like, we're seeing all these birth defects. And the government just keeps saying, like, no, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think it wasn't mm. until the 1990s that the government was finally forced to put a warning label on, cigarettes on the healthy. cigarettes yeah. and i mean that's that's in our lifetime that's right. really significant yeah no i think that's a great point and i think you're right that when we look through history there are like people don't just have this irrational fear yeah. or distrust of the government the the government and um different entities institutions different 
the media. Like there are reasons why uh, so many of us distrust the different things that we hear. What do you think for people though? So there, there's for sure some reasons why we trust, but some of the places we take it then just yes. feel like they are so outlandish or beyond reality. So what do you think um, the draw is to some of those things? Like, so this one is, is one that I'll just throw out there. I don't think we're going to spend much time divulging and, and talking about recent conspiracies, but the just recently there was a, a boat that was stuck in a canal and people were saying that that boat uh, had was full of, of children and people who were being trafficked mm. and that that was a conspiracy around it. Um, I don't know why that is the, the reason we have to have for why <laughs> things happen in our world. So do you guys have anything you might say to that of, of why we take just these common occurring events and have to put conspiracies on top of them? Any thoughts what that does for us? Um, well, maybe we're all a little bored okay. from quarantine. <laughs> that could be part yeah. of it. We're still yeah. too stuck on the internet. Um, but again, I just think that there's this feeling, especially in America, clear from what the study that you're talking about, that there always has to be a reason for something. Yeah. There can't be any coincidence. Right. But again, if you think through that scenario, why would traffickers purposely get their boat stuck in a canal right. and then bring attention to it? That the entire world's yeah. attention. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't make any any sense. Yeah. What would be the motivator there? Mm -hmm. that exactly. Connect. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think there, there's some sort of, of element to some of these conspiracy theories or this distrust of government that it, it feels like it's trying to provide some sort of control mm -hmm. over our surroundings that the things happen we can't explain them and so it, it's almost a way that we can find security um, in them so man we see these things in the sky we don't know what they are well they have to be aliens that the government is hiding from us right and yeah. it's a, an effort to to kind of regain control over unexplainable events or, or things that seem to be beyond coincidence brad what, what thoughts do you have what what ways do conspiracies maybe help us um well i think you hit on it i think it helps us make sense of our world mm. at, at some level you know there, there's something we can't when we can't explain it we have to fill in the gaps we have to be in that no and in the black and white yeah we can't leave things out there that we don't know yeah you know, it seems like we have to be able to land that plane yeah i've heard you say that before <clears throat> so many of us are very uncomfortable with the statement i don't know yeah. we have to know we have to have some control and some understanding for the world around us um I, another thing that i think conspiracy theories or, or distrust of government is it is it can give us as a sense of us versus them. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes it's very difficult, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, it's very difficult to create commonality um, with people who are different than you and create community. And so if we can create community around people that we are right and yeah. they are wrong, and I think so much of conspiracy theory tries to drum up some of that fear of, of we're the good ones, they're the bad ones, and so we can distance ourselves and push uh, against other people. Yeah, Ben Sass. I think you've read the book, Ben Sass's book, uh, Them. Yeah. Um, have you read that too as well? Not so yet. It's a, it's a, it does a good job of moving us to um, where we are in our culture right now. We used to trust the institutions, right. and government is our biggest institution yeah. that we would trust, and we relied on them. Um, and then little by little, institutions let us down. The government mm -hmm. has let us down. They have lied to us, mm -hmm. maybe not intentionally, maybe just bad policy, but there's been times where um, we've lost trust in government for various reasons. Yeah. And so we've moved from institutions more to a, you know, we follow a leader, something mm -hmm. that we know who they are and can we trust them. And, and then those leaders have let us down, mm -hmm. you know, and, and he yeah. moves us into, then we've moved into this area of tribalism. You know, it's like we want to be with others like ourselves. I know you guys are one tribe, you're millennials, <laughs> and I'm boomer. <laughs> right. But we, we tend to hang with people that we 
we identify with. Yeah. Yeah. And Sass, uh, in his book, does a good job. He takes it, we're almost in this era of anti-tribe. Mm. So who we are uh, with is who are mutually, you know, someone who are mutually against. So if, we, mm. if you and I are both against an issue or a yeah. person or a party, mm-hmm. then you and I are the same tribe because of what yeah. we're mutually against. And it's just a destruction of our, uh, and he blame, you know, he points to technology and other elements that sure. are contributors to that uh, separation during COVID has probably not been a great help yeah, in this yeah. regard. Uh, so th- those are some of the facts he points out, and I think they're fascinating as you, as you read that, that mm-hmm. evolution. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that we have to talk about, so there's this fear of this this kind of abstract entity of Big Brother, and so that mm-hmm. can kind of be all-encompassing for government or media mm-hmm. or different institutions, things like the Illuminati, if you want to go there, right? <laughs> We've got all sorts of different places we could take that. But really, I think what, what grounds this conversation, what we have to come back to is, is what is the role of government? Because we have all of this distrust. What is the role of media? What place do these institutions um, have for society? What benefit can they offer? Um, because there, there's this distrust that I think creates a... Um, a dissonance that doesn't always allow us to, to move forward. So what would you guys, how would you maybe start there and say, what is the role of, of government in our lives? What in can the first it, place, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've thought about that. We've actually had some conversations yeah. around that. Um, it is it is a bit ambiguous, but mm-hmm. I think as we, as I boil it down, if government, good government can raise the uh, liberties and the securities of its constituents, mm. of its people, I think that's good government. Mm. Oftentimes we juxtapose those against each other. So it's like, well, if we increase security, we lose our liberties. If mm. we increase our liberties, we lose our securities. Yeah. And so you see, uh, I think the the art of governing is to be able to raise both those in a, in a healthy society. Yeah, that's great. Alyssa? Yeah. And I think a lot about, I'm pulling out some college information. It's yeah. been a minute, but um, I remember talking about it in one of my classes that a big piece of how you get to what you think about government is what you think about people. Mm. And so it's like, do you think that people inherently are good and, or bad or sinful or not sinful? Mm. And then, you know, if you think people are bad, is it the government's job to like quell that? Or is that the government's also bad and so there should not be as much government? Mm. Or if people are good, then you don't need that much government because people inherently are good. Or if people are good, then the government's going to be good. Yeah. And so I feel like a huge piece of even we don't realize what we think about government actually comes down to what we think about people. Yeah. Um, and Maybe even ourselves. It, yeah. <clears throat> At the yeah. end of the day, we know our own hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what do we trust in others is what we trust or distrust in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, I was talking with someone the other day as well about some of this, but one of the things that we were saying about government is that, you know, people will argue for, as you were just saying, Alyssa, large government or small government. And biblically, I'm, I'm not sure that there's an argument to be made one way or the other. I think yeah. you can see from history that different things happen when, when different governments are in place. But biblically, I think the, the question is not big government or small government. It's good government, like yeah. quality of government. Um, and so I think kind of for, for all of us, the Bible says that government has a place to provide, mm-hmm. you know, order out of chaos and, and mm-hmm. function out of dysfunction, um, and that it's God-ordained to help provide mm-hmm. systems really for the purpose of human flourishing so that all people um, can do a lot of what our, our country has been founded on, you know, the pursuit of happiness and, and the pursuit of, of freedom and, and liberty. Um, 
And the issue becomes when when government doesn't promote those things. Yeah. Um, now, what I will say, and I would love to get your guys' thoughts on this, um, maybe Alyssa, what do we do? Because right now it feels like it's very murky yes. that what is good and what is bad about government or, or those things, it, it can just feel very murky for us. So as Christians, how do we kind of enter into some of that space? Because going back to where we started, uh, I think a lot of Christians have this distrust. They have a lot of fear mm-hmm. around this. So how as Christians should we be engaging with this? How have we seen Christians engaging with this? distrust for good and bad government? Yeah, so that's a big question, it turns out. It was a long Um, question to you. I'm (laughs) awful at that. (laughs) Um, So I guess I'll address first maybe what I'm seeing Christians do Yeah, that's a good place to start. Um, And I I guess I would say it's almost on this um, spectrum of like passivity and then Mm. aggression that I see this piece of being really passive. And so they're seeing things in institutions not go well, and they're just posting on social media, like, thoughts and prayers mm, for da-da-da-da. Sure. Um, and in reality, like, what does that mean? And really, like, are you actually praying about it? Mm. Um, you know, back to that, like, knowing yourself, right? Are you actually praying and knowing about those things but not engaging, choosing to be um, separate from government? Yeah. Um, and so I would say that that um, not only is it passive, but I – in its action, but I, th- I think it f- obviously feels passive in our culture that it's like, it's not a big deal, you mm-hmm. know, that this is how people are responding. Um, I think something that feels like it's getting a lot more attention are the Christians that are responding aggressively mm-hmm. to government, mm-hmm. um, specifically Christian nationalism, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of a term that we've heard a lot, uh, right now, um, and so, because it's interesting to me, a lifelong learner kind of was like looking some things up. Yeah. Um, and just the definition of Christian nationalism is that this group of Christians believe that America was founded Christian and should always remain a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is kind of the lens that people mm. um, are looking through. Um, and I guess obviously there's questions on whether or not America was exactly right. Like turns out Samuel Adams probably wasn't loving Jesus super well when he was like (laughs) saying mean things about the British people. I don't know. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Um, no, I think that that's a great point. And Oh, go ahead. I say, you know, Jeremiah, you you read in Jeremiah Mm. when he talks to the, 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 uh, captive in in captivity, you know, Babylon Mm -hmm. has taken over and and basically imprisoned these people. And, And the command to them is to, to, Plant gardens, right? Play, pray for the flourishing of of, of Babylon, because mm. as they flourish, you also will flourish. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a a concept. Even you think they weren't nationalist? Yeah. <laughs> you know, think yeah. about that that approach. Is like this is their enemy. This is someone yeah. who's persecuting them, and they prayed for and they engaged in the culture mm. uh, of that day. Yeah. No, I think that that's well said. And I think one of the uh, Alyssa, I know you and I have talked, actually, all three of us have talked about this at different points. Um, so for all those listening, this is kind of cool because Brad and Alyssa and I like to talk in the office a lot about this stuff. But <laughs> there's, um, I think there's often a tension, um, particularly younger Christians, I mm, think, are feeling right yeah. now. And Alyssa, I know you've talked about this, but a, a feeling like kind of homeless in the mm. culture at large that mm. we don't necessarily fit into these certain categories. Would you mind maybe just kind of sharing a, a few of those points of, of why younger Christians are tending to feel kind of homeless. You want me to answer that? Yeah, Brad, if you could... (laughs) As uh, a young Christian (laughs) man. All right, you go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I... I, Yeah, I really appreciate that word homeless, um, politically homeless, that I think what we know from the Bible is that truth, big T truth is binary, right? Mm. That they're like, Jesus came and 
died and rose again, right? Like that is what we know is true. And unfortunately, um, our political system is also binary, but those are not the same two categories. And so I think as a millennial or as a young person, um, I, I feel so torn between these two groups, um, that Brad and I were actually talking about this earlier that I, as a Christian, I value sanctity of life. That is a core piece of who I am and who, what I believe Jesus calls me to agree Mm, with. And so then all of a sudden that doesn't just mean being pro-life and and caring about unborn babies, which I do. And, uh, you know, we could have a whole podcast about that. (laughs) Um, But then also this other piece of quality of life, right? Of like immigrants. What does that mean if there are people at our borders in prisons Mm -hmm. um, that are fleeing to a better life? Like we are called to care for the alien and Mm -hmm. the orphan and the poor and the widow. And and so if I, but all of a sudden those are two polarizing issues in government. Um, And both I would say are biblically true. Yes. Both we would affirm as Christians and believers. And yet the options we have before us in the culture at large and whether it's politically or just culturally and how makes us almost choose one or the other. You have to rate biblical principles. Yeah. Um, and turns out that's not cute. You know, like that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. We're not yeah. forced to choose the value. We're forced to choose the method by which we yeah. achieve that value. That's, that's a good call. I think yeah, you, you good. have a hard time finding yeah. someone who says, no, oh, life is bad. Mm. <laughs> and any side yeah. of the aisle, right? Mm-hmm. Think there's a value, uh, there's a sanctity of life value amongst all of us. I think it's in human nature. Yeah. But where we get caught up is not in the value, but in our opinion about how we go about resolving mm-hmm. that. Do we yeah. make it illegal? We make it unnecessary. You know, it's like, which mm-hmm. is going to achieve the greater good? How the easiest path to accomplishing that sanctity of life uh, for yeah. the unborn child, but also, like you said, for the, the, the immigrant and the prisoner and the, you know, the, the, yeah. those others, the quality of life, like you say, Alyssa, is, is critically important as well. Yeah, which I think is a really important uh, kind of nuance to bring to this conversation because I think it ties back to the conspiracy or the distrust of, of Big Brother and government is that government can't offer us the solutions we're looking for because they are operating in some of these binary systems. And so we're having to choose between the methods and the tools that we use to address some of them. Uh, But it creates a a sense of dissonance between us and those places Mm. that we feel Mm -hmm. like, well, I can't actually trust you because, you know, you're going to take your own agenda into things. You're not going to actually represent what our values are. And so you're left in this place of like, feeling kind of stuck and, and homeless, and but also like there's not necessarily a hope for like a way to address some of these things through some of the institutions uh, that are available to yeah. us. And so then we just kind of throw up our hands and say, well, that's not the way to, to get things done. Um, so you guys have thoughts on that about the role those things can play or how Christians should, should we continue to engage with some of those institutions and mechanisms and tools or should we just walk away? <laughs> Well, what's the easiest? (laughs) Let's just walk away. In fairness, um, you know, the institutions themselves are just made up of people. Mm -hmm. And people are inherently have, can be corrupt. So, Mm -hmm. again, in fairness, you know, people in government can be corrupt, as can we. Yeah. As we in the church look at some of these, you know, the black marks on the church throughout history. We're not inherently good because we're part of this institution. Yeah. Um, so we will lose the trust. And we will have people that are power seekers and mm-hmm. power hungry, and they will go to any measure perhaps to stay in power or to gain power. Mm-hmm. And so those things, can, those, those are realities. Yeah. Um, so I think we need to separate the two issues of the, the, the institution of government and yeah. that it's got 
value. Mm-hmm. That's why we do need to engage yeah. Yeah. In, in, as individuals, as, as followers of Jesus in our government. We don't abandon that. Mm-hmm. We need to engage that for the flourishing of our, of our country, a flourishing mm-hmm. of our, our world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think there is, back to what I was talking about earlier, this big difference between Christian nationalism and Christian patriotism Mm. that I think we as Christians can be proud of being from America and that we have a lot of um, principles that are really good and take care of our people well. And so I don't think it's helpful to then totally disengage um, because we... Oh, it sounds so cheesy. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. But it's true that like we yeah. are supposed to be a part of where we are and plant Absolutely. our gardens, like you were saying, Brad, that um, if we choose to disengage, we are um, losing opportunities to even share losing the gospel our voice. with people. You're right. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think one of the things that, you know, I, I in some ways I empathize with this pull towards Christian nationalism, and I think some people may not even recognize that yeah. that's what they're doing, but in some ways I see that a reaction against the distrust um, and the frustration with the governments that continue to fail these institutions, that it almost pulls it back to this higher ideal of, of America, the great nation, mm-hmm. and that if we could just get back to, to that idea that all these all these governments and institutions and people and media, they're all lying to us. They're all misinforming us. There's this distrust there. So (laughs) let's just pull back to the higher level of this ideal of what America can be and go all in on that. The problem is that when we do that, when we conflate, you know, Christianity in America, we're tying the fate of our beliefs to this entity that scripture tells us again and again and again, not to tie um, our destinies to. And so we've, we've, created this atmosphere where the fate of America will be the fate of Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not biblical. That's not Jesus following. And so we've got to to be able to kind of separate um, ourselves from, from that a little bit to have this distinct embodiment of what it means to follow Jesus in a government that, you know, does fail us against media that does misinform us against yeah. these things that that continually um, create this fear that we have around ourselves. We need to hear allegiance allegiance up a level. Yeah. You know, we, we kind of have this. You know, we're loyal first to the country and mm-hmm. then to our party and then to our faith. It's yeah. like we have or we we invert our, our priorities. I think yep. it's like we are citizens of the kingdom first. Yeah, absolutely. Citizens of this country, our families, so on and so forth, our, the party, whatever down the line. Mm-hmm. But our allegiance is to Christ first and we we can't lose sight of that. Yeah. I uh it makes me think of my my wife's a therapist and counselor and so these are some some you know psychology terms, but it makes me think of the difference between differentiation and enmeshment. Mm. So enmeshment um, is it's a psychological term that describes a blurring of boundaries between people and family members, um, but it, it usually creates a dysfunction in families that leads to like a lack of autonomy or independence. Mm-hmm. That, that So we have, as Christians have kind of become enmeshed with America, mm. right? We've, we've tied ourselves, we don't really have clear boundaries about where America stops and where Christianity begins. They're kind of all one thing. Um, but the, the solution to that or the way that we are called as, as in family systems or in this instance, I think, is to differentiate. So it's this process of defining ourselves apart from these other things, of creating autonomy and a sense of, of clarifying these boundaries. Um, and that can create a lot of anxiety for people yeah. sometimes, like separating. Sure. Um, but I think as Christians, one of the ways that we're called to respond is to as you said, cheesy but true, 
be in the world, but not of it. So we're not um, enmeshed with the, the fate of this world. We're differentiated and we can stand alone and say, this is distinctly who we are as the people of God. Um, and I think that's what we we're kind of missing in some of these conversations as a culture yeah. at large. Um, but how do we do that? That's a great question. <laughs> how, how then shall we live? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's why we brought Brad on okay. as the wise sage <laughs> to, <laughs> to answer oh, this no, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> See, so it works both ways. I can make fun of you for being older than us, but then yeah, I can yeah. lean on you oh, for yeah. answers. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So I guess how, yeah, how, actually, Brad, do you have thoughts on how we can kind of live in that space or, or what some of the ways Christians should respond. And I'll follow that up and give you, give you a second to think, but um, it, it's a critical question, right? Because I think yeah. what we're seeing play out right now in our culture is that there is actually a loss of credibility yeah. of Christians in this cultural moment because of, frankly, the way that, that we've bought into certain conspiracy theories, um, the ways that we have um, distrusted um, institutions rather than trying to reform or redeem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think it's a really important question that Christians are wrestling through is how do we respond um, to Big Brother? Hmm. You know, I, I don't know that I have an answer for you, to be perfectly honest sure. with mm-hmm. you. I think there's... Um, what I've learned is being kind of a, uh, the era I grew out of is you had to learn your apologetics. You had to learn to argue your faith. Mm-hmm. You had to know all the bullet points airtight and, and really be able to go to battle, mm-hmm. if you will. And I think that um, was a little bit misguided yeah. as far as our witness to the world. Uh, I remember reading a book when I was in my 20s, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh, yeah. One of the principles was seek first to understand the other mm-hmm. and then be understood. So like first to engage in that conversation um, and ask questions and I understand. I think there's such a common ground for values. You can find those common values. You, yeah. No one's going to say, hey, I'm against education. Right. No one's going to say I'm against life. I'm not against health care. I'm against these are values. We mm-hmm. want our do we want our people, our kids, mutually, all of ours, to be educated and yeah. to be healthy? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. absolutely. No one's going to argue with that. So you can find that common ground, I think, very quickly. Yeah, that's a good I think um, how we go about it, what we would call, some people may call a higher power. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's this, the knowledge of God is written on the hearts of men. You know, mm-hmm. it's like we, there is that innate uh, element in us that we can find that common ground. So I think that's a place at least to start. Yeah, I think that's um, a great point. In those discussions. Yeah, kind of finding common ground. Alyssa, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I'm trying to say this gingerly, um, I, I think it goes back to that enmeshment piece mm-hmm. of starting to to question things, even just from our new, new sources. That mm-hmm. is like, just because it comes from this wing of the news, like of the news, doesn't mean that it is true. Um, because I think so often, um, I see it on Facebook all the time of like people are sharing these things that it's like that is that's just sensational. Like you're just sharing right. that. And have you have you done any research? Did you even click the link or did you mm. just share it and are spreading these things? Yeah. And then all of a sudden the next day you're posting a verse. And so what it, what does it look mm. like for our evangelism mm. to like who someone who does not have a relationship with Christ to see? And this is a real story that um, one of the Biden boys has the tattoo, a tattoo of the underground golf course tunnels where they traffic kids. That's crazy. That where, like where on his body? On his tattoo? on his back. 
So, you know, when obviously when they're like, guys, where do we need to traffic these kids? Take your shirt off. Like, oh, yeah. From prison break. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> great, great right? show. <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden so we get out. <laughs> like, that, that's crazy. Right. But but all of a sudden there's I mean, and this is a real article that someone yeah. I know shared. And I'm like, and I went to Christian college with them. Mm. And so all of a sudden it's like, what does that mean if you're sharing this? And then the next day, literally the next day, he's like guys, come to my church. Here's a link. <laughs> Go to the live stream. And I just, I just wanted to rip my hair out yeah. because what is that? What does that do for us? It doesn't do anything. Yeah. Well, I think what you're, you're getting at is that for, for most of the world, we're not called to share sensational news. We're yeah. called to share the good news yes. of who Jesus is. And the tragedy in all of this conversation is that so many times Christians are known for the secondary issue mm or the, 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 you know, not the primary issues. And so we, we have a lot to say about, you know, tattoos on the backs of President's son, or we have a lot to say about the, these conspiracies or the way that the media is lying, but, but can we point people to Jesus? And our, we kind of have mixed messaging yeah. sometimes, and I think we have to kind of do some, some public relations, you know, work mm-hmm. to, to try to get back on track with what the messages we are trying to share with others. And that requires discernment. Yeah. Um, right. Like mm-hmm. we have to be people if we are people of the truth, if we say that Jesus died and rose again and that mm-hmm. that's not just some ethereal thing, but he was literally dead, dead and came back to life. That sounds crazy enough. Yeah, that's the we don't have thing. to confuse yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our, our audience with other stuff. Mm-hmm. And so how do we get back to, to the main message? And even the idea of being a follower of Jesus, it's like if I'm following Jesus, I should know and understand and try to m- mimic how he lived. Yeah. He's not one that took up his rights. Right. He laid down. Here's God laying mm-hmm. down his his life yeah. for our sake. It's like we are, and we're worried about taking up our rights and our liberties and our freedoms. Like that's the very things he laid down. Yeah. And Sermon on the Mount was not blessed are the powerful and the rich right. and those who stand up for themselves. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's, just, that's just not what he taught. And so if we're followers of Jesus, let's listen to what he said mm-hmm. and try to mirror how he lived his life here on earth. I mean, he was about the outcast, the Samaritan mm-hmm. woman and the, yeah. you, know, you know, I mean, just story after story after story of Jesus' life that was all about laying down your rights. Right. I, I, will, I will speak for myself. Yeah, I please. find it easy to, to listen to uh, news, the, the contemporary news, because mm. it gets me angry. Mm. And that, honestly, as a three on the Enneagram, I have learned yeah. that anger is my fixation. Mm. I get a rush. I get a charge out of it. I get energized by it. Yeah. And so then how do I keep fueling that? I've had to be very intentional, very conscientious about not. And yeah. the best advice mm. I got one time um, when it comes to what you consume was go read history. Not mm. what's written contemporary because it's usually surrounding an issue oftentimes. History does not repeat itself per se, Mm. but it does inform. And I think if we can read about the history of our country, the history of uh, the church, the history of, read history and let it inform what we're dealing with is nothing new. There's nothing yeah. new under the sun, you know, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's that we are just living a new version of things that have come before us. And so mm-hmm. as we study history, I think we, um, it can inform what we're dealing with in the mm-hmm. present. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think one of the important things for that is, is as you look at history or the different you know, forms of media that you, um, like scripture reinforces this again and again and again, be careful of what you are, are allowing to inform you because yeah. it yeah. will form you. Yeah. Um, and so I think one of the ways that we can, can kind of resist some of the ways that, you know, 
we are receiving this information is to read broadly, read yeah. widely. Yeah. We get stuck in these echo chambers. Um, we just listen to people who agree with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I often will flip to news channels or different when events are happening to, to see what the other side yeah. might be saying and to try to get a broader perspective. And and you're right. Sometimes you walk away feeling very angry, like, mm. I can't believe they're saying this. Or, But uh, it was actually interesting going back to the book you talked about earlier, Brad, them yeah. with Ben Sass. He has had multiple conversations. He's a Republican senator from Nebraska. He's a believer, but he's talked with these different newsrooms and news organizations that their primary goal is actually not to inform, but to enrage. Mm. And part of the purpose of that is that if they enrage their base, then they'll keep coming back. If they enrage the other side, then they actually get more views because the other side is sharing it. And so it's all about trying to drive this system of more views, more clicks, more eyes on the screen, and, and, the, more dollars. and more dollars. Yeah. And so the goal is not for us to be an informed society, but to be an enraged society. And so as Christians, we have to present an alternative to that where, where we're not enraged by the things that are going right. That goes back to yeah. the differentiation, um, that, that the things of this world don't affect us the same way because our hope is not in who's the next president or what the next bill is going to be, but in what Jesus has done yeah. and what he says he will do. Um, so I think that's an important part of, the, of this conversation, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think another piece with not only, you know, looking at a lot of different news sources, but just also being, I mean, we've talked a lot around it, but just guarding our integrity. Just the fact is, is that you as an individual are representing, you are an ambassador to Christ. And so if you are posting these things, not only does it make you look silly, but it makes me look silly. Mm. And like you are, you're letting down the team, man. (laughs) Um, And that's another thing that Americans love is good team movies, right? (laughs) Like remember the Titans, uh, Miracle, that we we are a team. Um, And so just know that you have this really incredible power um, to to like to speak to what we are, and so just be really, really careful with um, with those things. Check it, check it eight times, you know, before you <laughs> share something, as opposed to um, just once. And even then, if you share something and it's wrong, apo- like come back, redact it. You know, mm. I, I just think that's another piece too. Is it's just having that humility of my bad. I like shared this thing that was wrong, and you know, I don't, I don't want to be a fake news reporter. Yeah, right, right? Uh, sure. The uh, speaking of wise old sages, my uncle actually. Yeah, when I was when I was a kid, yes, my brothers, my dad, my uncle. I had an anger problem. No, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but my uncle, had, you know, words of wisdom when I was a teenager, he said, "When you're in a dispute, the first one who loses their anger loses the argument." Yeah. And so, it was a, a lesson I didn't want to lose. <laughs> yeah, right. the argument. So. Little by little, I've had to learn how to control mm. that fixation of anger that I, I know that I harbor yeah. um, and try to make a longer and longer fuse for mm. myself. And so uh, that's something that another thing that I'm really I have to work on daily. I mean, I mm. still I get raw, especially in this day and age. This last year we've come through. There's enough things that wear on you sure. that just make your fuse a little shorter. And so yeah. I've had to it's it's very intentional work on my mm-hmm. part. Not everyone struggles with it like I do, but for my me and my kind. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my, yeah, we got to watch ourselves. No, I, I think that, and, and that's something that's, I think, important for all of us because we do have this tendency to become enraged and to become mm-hmm. very passionate about the things we hear. And, 
And there's also this pressure to respond. I know, Alyssa, you spoke earlier about the inactivity or the passivity, but, you know, if you don't say something, then, you know, what are people going to think? Or if yeah. you do say something. So there's all these, this confusion. But I think maybe to, to kind of wrap the conversation up and bring it to a close. So going back to this idea of, of Big Brother and this fear mm -hmm. of, of government, um, I think one of the reasons why we uh, can get so wrapped up in this stuff is because ultimately we we've misplaced our hope and our trust. Yeah. And so we think that these institutions or these, you know, different governmental authorities or these different media platforms, they are supposed to do something for us um, that only God can do. They can't yeah. provide the security that we're looking for. No conspiracy is going to actually unpack and make the world make sense. Um, as Christians, we believe the narrative of Scripture does that for us. And so the call for us is to continually come back to a place of saying that you know, what, what we believe in Scripture is true, um, what God has done. Uh, is true, and and that's the primary message, and and that's our hope. Um, so, how would you guys maybe to to kind of wrap this conversation up? Say what role hope um, and trust plays in in some of this idea of fear of government and misinformation and and all that. Um, I mean, I I, I think to me, there's um. I, there's a show called Doomsday Preppers. Right. Um, I think there's a few season on Netflix if that's your jam. <laughs> um, but I know, um, Brad, you were saying that your inclination is anger. I think mine is anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think that I could become a really good Doomsday Prepper <laughs> um, if I allowed my, if I did mm -hmm. not feel like I had hope in the world yeah. um, right now. And so I just think, um, even back to our conversation with Kaylee, that like this is not. Mm -hmm. This is such a small piece of our eternal life. Mm -hmm. And so whether or not, like, Jesus is always on the throne. And so just pulling back and, and just being so prayerful um, just feels so important. Mm -hmm. And and focusing on, um, I think, even just, like, Christian unity, which doesn't just mean, like, we're going to sweep all of the non-essential issues down, sure. out, like, under the rug. But it means that we are going to listen to one another and be intentional with one another. And if you disagree with someone, mm -hmm. have a conversation and genuinely listen. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that is the only way... Um, that things are going to change, you yeah. know, because turns out you can always listen to something on the news that's going to make you mad. But yeah. if you have a person that is a whole person to you and that you love really well and has a different opinion than you do, like, let's have a conversation about that mm. um, and know that it's, again, we have this bigger hope um, in Jesus. And so these are mm -hmm. these are all secondary issues yeah. um, that feel, again, like you were saying, Paul, primary. Yeah. Wise words. And I would say probably have that conversation in person yes. at a coffee shop, not over Facebook. Yes. It's really weird when family members are airing out their laundry on Facebook. Do you have any cool. good suggestions for coffee shops? Uh, well, I'll, I'll let you have the final word. No. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> this episode is sponsored yeah, by... Yeah, yeah. Right. Actually, I, uh, to echo a little bit, Alyssa, what you were saying is... Um, we have to remember where our hope lies. Yeah. It's not in the military might, the economic might, or prowess of our country, of ourselves. It It, it is in Christ. Mm -hmm. That's where our hope lies. And I think we need to keep that in, in the front of our minds at all the time, uh, at all times. Yeah. And um, we are, uh, we often say God is good mm. and, and God is generous. But functionally, how do we live? Do yeah. we say that with our mouths or do we live that with our lives? Mm -hmm. Is God good and gracious and, and generous with us? Then it should be our hands should be always wide open. Yeah. Mm -hmm. give, give to me today what you have for me today and take away what you need to take away, mm -hmm. right? 
and to live an open-handed life because uh, the more we try to grip and control it, that man, it's just a, it's slippery. It's like grabbing soap, you know, and then we're not yeah. going to, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Appreciate, appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Thanks. Alyssa. Thank you for listening to the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. We hope that this show will spark conversation and that you'll share this episode with a friend. You can join us on Instagram at WaterstoneCC and Facebook at Waterstone Church to continue the conversation and share your thoughts and opinions with us. This podcast is hosted by me, Paul Joslin, and Alyssa Frisbee. Today's show was edited and mixed by Lane Gerking and produced by Emily Claus. Special thanks to Brad Haycoop for joining us and sharing his thoughts and wisdom. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks.